Hello and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, Read the Song of Ice and Fire, episode 126, Cattle and Nine in a Game of Thrones. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. Yes, welcome everyone. We are at a something of a bridge. Something Yo, like this that. Is, this is like the end of the Game of Thrones. There are like two chapters after this. That is true. At first I thought you were talking about the show and I was like, what the fuck? This is the first book. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this is, this is, well, I mean, I'm always talking about the show mm, that yes. the books are based upon, of but course. no, this is Catalan's ninth chapter. You know, we've got the next two are the big ones, right? Mm-hmm. They're the, uh, the big ones. Robbie boy proves himself on the field and then, you know, decaying in the North, swashbuckling in the air, all the, all the big feels. And, oh yeah, Ned's gonna die. Oh yeah. I mean, this is a good one too, right? This is also a big one. Has a lot of payoff, dramatically. Not a, not, not, not like in a satisfying way, but it has a lot of dramatic payoff for this whole series. So there's that. It was honestly so blasé. I was like, wow, Eliana. As opposed to uh, you being though. like, it's only gonna get happier from here at the end of like last episode or something like that (laughs) dude the best part is i was thinking about how i said that and then i read this chapter and i was like wow this is miserable this is miserable knowing what happens and reading this chapter and seeing like the scar tissue that walder Frey has obviously been carrying for 80 years of his 90 something year old life i'm like wow you really buried that grudge down deep didn't you wall it's a chapter and a half there's a lot of new faces Getting to see Rob up close is is probably one of the big highlights, in my opinion, and see his struggle from boy to boy, king to king, you know, soon, and boy to lord, and I, I think that little boy to lord, boy to king pipeline is something we'll talk about. Absolutely, and as you said, a lot, a lot of Rob here, we've been really ramping up to him, and so it, it's, you know, George wanted to flesh out, right, what does kingship look like from the perspective of a mother, but of course, you know, we get a lot of time with Catelyn without Rob, so interesting yeah. stuff, and I mean, she does a lot of the action, right? The action, to some extent, happens off page, but not, and it centers around Catelyn, not around Rob. I think a clash is great for that when they're separated, right? Mm-hmm. And coming back together for them, as we will obviously get to eventually, is also miserable. <laughs> it's not great, right? Like, things are things are not great for everyone involved. Things just feel like shit. Everything's rainy and gray and gross. And they go to this shit-ass wedding eventually where shit-ass things happen. It's, yeah. It's a real time, and this chapter is full of some fun foreshadowing and some fun little playful ideas that we'll see George play with and grow and garden with in the next two books. So I guess we'll cherish Cat in A Game of Thrones for now before we have to say bye to the Game of Thrones and move on to the, the King Clash, the Acock. The Acock, yes, absolutely. Well... Before we do that, along with visiting the twins, as we've told all of you, we are going to a couple of other places in Planetos. On yes. Patreon, we are going to continue our tour of the free cities. I am so excited because we are getting past the halfway point in free cities, right? We, we've been touring. We were just talking about when we went to Kohor a while ago. That was such a while ago. But we are summer loving, heading to Pentos, Pentos 
penthouse. I don't know. There's working titles. I kind of want to go with a theme. We always go with themes. I want to go with a theme. Hmm. Well, we'll figure it out. Yeah. I mean, this one, there's not a goat there, so. (laughs) Well, listen, if you are in the stranger tier or above over at our Patreon, patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon, $5 tier and above, you're going to get a special episode every month. That's this month's Pentos, Pentosi Penthouse, I don't know. Again, working titles, we're going to work on it, I swear. But that's not all we offer as a Patreon member, right? If you're in the Thunder tier or above, $10 and up, you have access to a couple of other things, like... Like our Discord. For uh, patrons $10 and up on our Discord, we have fun and games. For example, actually, we aren't doing games this month, but we are doing fun. This coming Sunday, May 23rd, we are going to be having our brunch slash happy hour. And to celebrate springtime, though it's almost summer, we are going to be doing a presentation potluck, a PowerPoint potluck. <laughs> Eliana does a love love them very much. I do too. I They're like great. them. They're fun. Now, to be fair, if we finish early, we might still play little reindeer games. We'll play some Jackbox games for sure, but... Uh, I'm excited for this. (laughs) Yeah, well, and the theme this month is fun, right? So a dream of spring or whatever the hell you're dreaming of right now, whether it's a swath related or whether it's actually just like, I want to travel or I want to eat a really good cheese sandwich or I don't know. I don't know what you want, but we encourage you to make a three to five slide slideshow if you're a patron in the Thunder Deer or above. Feel free to present it, a quick little presentation on what you're dreaming of, and uh, there will be more info over at our Patreon, so check that out. Yes, and of course, this is not the only series that we cover. As many of you know, we also cover the His Dark Materials book series and the Companion series, which we are finishing up the first book of right now. That's the Books of Dust trilogy, a sandwich trilogy around the His Dark Materials books. (laughs) We are coming to the end of La Belle Sauvage. But basically, I mean... We are coming to the end of the sausage. Yeah, we'll be doing our last episode of La Belle Sauvage, and we are going to have one of our really good friends on, Holly. You may know her from over at the Dust Podcast, hanging out at Matt's audio blog with our friend Double M, who we recently did a fun rewatch episode for the His Dark Materials TV show. Uh, we had a real blast. We'll link that in the details. But Holly's coming over to hang out with us. Holly was here over in our Patreon episode in December about His Dark Materials. So was Double M, Matt. And I'm excited. Holly's going to finish out the book with us. It's a great book. So if you're into His Dark Materials, we definitely recommend those additional companion books in that trilogy and uh after this we're not going to continue right away with those companion books we're actually going to do a quick rewind and go finish the first trilogy the og trilogy and start the amber spyglass so look out for details on that soon yeah keep an eye out keep your keep a i thought i was gonna make nope. a cool spyglass uh, joke but you can all use your lens imagination out. yeah keep a lens out Something. Pretend I succeeded. Knives out. Tits <laughs> oh out. Oh my god, tits out. Reliza, Aaron. Anyway, speaking of things that are funny. <laughs> we got this, uh, this one's not an email or tweet a note. This is actually a Podbean comment that we got uh, a few weeks ago at the beginning of April, and we kept meaning to bring it up, but then we would forget every time when we were doing the notes. And then in the middle of the episodes, I'd be like, shit, shit, I forgot to bring that one up. So... 
That's a lot of our process now that you say it out loud. I don't want to talk about it. Um, <laughs> thank you to this commenter, CMTapu96. This is not actually CMTapu96's first comment, but this one this one was uh, tickled me. Where they said, Google Plus is a great April Fool's prank. So. Look, it's not my fault. Apparently, I said Google Plus instead of Google Play. We're not on Google Plus. Don't look for us there. We're on Google Play, everyone. I kind of wish we were on Google Plus, but those are gone now, you know? It's n- no, it's literally over. It's a geriatric millennial be. thing, as they say. <sighs> you know, I bet the, the, the kids are going to be listening to the podcast someday, whoever the kids are, and they're going to yeah. be like, what's Google Plus, Grandma? Because we're going to be Grandma's Gone Canon by then, <laughs> you know? Yeah, probably. <laughs> You're all our kids and our grandkids now, spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> We've I evolved. Wait. I can't wait to be like... 80 and maybe senile and have completely lost it and be like is it accidentally covering out? Ayn Rand I don't know oh, <laughs> <It's God. a> <laughs> uh, I don't like that future that's a dystopian future but you've just uh, I said we were senile that's true, okay? that's maybe true. one of us will die in time god anyway but uh, another context around this right this was a a comment on our uh, 121st episode, Cat 4, which was coming around around the beginning of April. So would have been timely for April Fool's things, as well as, uh, alas, that was not meant to be a prank. But if you want us to think we were pulling your leg for that, go ahead. Uh, yeah. I'm really glad that when people think about us, they're like, those girls, <laughs> they're so canon and they're such tricksters. <laughs> those girls are you on know? Google+. Plus. <laughs> They're just pranking. Pulling pranks. Pulling pranks. I'm always pranking. Well, I'm not going to prank you guys on this one because we're going to jump into our lightning round, which is, of course, what we missed between Catalan 8 and Catalan 9 in A Game of Thrones. And it's actually pretty quick today. Mm -hmm. We'll start it off with Tyrion 7. Tyrion returns to the Inn at the Crossroads with his own personal, friendly army of 300 Veilmen. Tyrion and Tywin discuss Rob's host drawing near, and Tywin offers rich rewards to the clansmen for their help. Sansa 5. Sansa attends her betrothed first session as the king, and pleads for her father's life. Eddard 15. Ned is told what he must do to sew the kingdom back together in the wake of Robert's death and his treason. Allegedly. Alleged treason. <laughs> Allegedly. How do you plead, Ned? Pigeon. <laughs> coo, coo. <laughs> Corn. Corn. Uh, that's a different part. That's a different bird, different character. We're here at Catelyn 9 in A Game of Thrones, where, arriving at the twins, Catelyn negotiates for Rob's host to cross. Yes, Catelyn's apprehensions continue to grow as they land near the twins. She masks them behind her stern, still face, but they grew larger every league they crossed. She spends her days anxious, nights restless, and every raven that flies above her makes her clench her teeth. Wow, is this... F- Anyways. Uh, <laughs> Why does she hate birds? <laughs> no. I do have to say, she spends her days anxious, nights restless, That's a mood. clenching her teeth. This is a mood. That sounds like 32. Cattle and chapters are so relatable. She's worried, right? She's worried about her dad, her brother, Ned, her girls. She knows she can't help them, so she has to put her fears aside and be strong now for Rob. You must be as fierce and hard as the North, Catelyn Tully. You must be a Stark for true now, like your son. 
Uh, each day, Rob asks one of the lords to join him at the front of the column, listening to their words and worries and advice, honoring each one equally. She watches him, proud of what he's learned from Ned, but worried that he hasn't learned enough. I loved reading that he was uh, taking on so much mm-hmm. of Ned's mannerisms in that, and that that thought that she has there of how she is going to have to be a Stark for true now, just like her son. Uh, it's really emotional mm-hmm. starting this chapter with that, that, that we get her going to the twins, fully taking on the house Stark mantle along with being a Tully, especially because her next return here... Uh, she pledges her honor as a Tully and her honor as a Stark, right? Before she mm-hmm. pledges murder with a Come knife. Um, so also we'll, we'll talk. No, wait, what? <laughs> uh, we'll talk about this whole Stark echo existing. And there's almost like an echo of Ned's ghost pre-existing, right? Like mm-hmm. the man hasn't quite died yet, but he's already starting to be this monomythic figure for the army and for the men and for Rob. I don't know. I love this, though. Catelyn is able to both see the flaws and the prowess of her son and husband's choices in field. Yeah, definitely. And I think this part is good. And and also, as you're saying, how Ned starts to become this like ghost and this myth. Rob actually starts kind of becoming that for his siblings, too, and a source of strength the Mm -hmm. way that Rob sees his father, because I guess it seems like a, a an eldest sibling thing sometimes that gets thrust onto them a sort of parental role um but you know again what do we know about that these are just i do love that though (laughs) i love seeing uh the parents reflected rob since we don't actually get his internal pov it's really interesting to see these choices reflected in him Mm -hmm. and emotionally and mentally he is a lot more like his dad i think in many of these instances in in some aspects However, I think here we see that his Tully side is very physically present throughout the chapter, which we'll talk about. Yeah, I mean, he's also, in some ways, he's like his own kid, right? He's trying to be, like, learning from either of his parents, but he's not, he's very much, like, more of his own character versus, I think, you know, how we see a lot of echoes of Ned and John. That one, I think, Mm -hmm. is so clear. Yeah, I think the camaraderie and the way he associates with his men, though, uh, I I see that strongly in the beginning of the story yeah and he obviously we get disconnected from him in the second book a bit but sure and i I think part of it is also he was raised more you know accepted and is charismatic personable in a way that i think ned didn't feel all the time being in the shadow of both brandon and robert yeah the blackfish rode ahead with a hundred men and horses screening their movements and scouting the way the reports though don't really reassure her Tywin's host was many days to the south, but Lord Frey has assembled his own force of near 4,000 men at the Green Fork. But that's, like, it. (laughs) Late again, Catelyn murmured when she heard. It was the trident all over. Damn the man. (sighs) Yup, it is intentional. (laughs) Yeah. I do love that we open this chapter with vibes of the Rebellion. Right, especially where we just closed. Well, something mm. interesting, right? The sandwich. This is a sandwich, Eliana. Oh, wow. I'm going to feed you a sandwich. I love sandwiches. Yeah. I know. I know you do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the chapter right before this is Eddard 15. Mm-hmm. Now we are in Catalan 9, and after this we go to John 8, which we have covered the other two chapters before. You may all recall on this journey, uh, John 8 is the one with one of my favorite audio uh, revisits, Eliana, 
with your Jon Snow. It's my favorite Jon Snow in the beginning of our thing. I he would do whatever Snow. was right, no matter what. Yeah, yeah. I don't even remember a time when I used to do Jon Snow. I only remember you. Did, you. you did. I think someone oh, else aw. before said, uh, someone commented and was like, they only hear your voice now when reading and thinking about Jon Snow. And I was like, I don't know, doing the dishes earlier today. I was like, yeah, I think I only think of Chloe's renditions of Jon Snow now. <laughs> Not kidding. Oh, Not kidding. It's pretty bad. I, I'm pretty sure there are only like, besides the passages I was forced to read by you, uh, All there of them. are pretty much like five catchphrases you could just like poke me like a, a doll or a book that has the stickers you could press for sound and i'll just say them you know like mcqueen <sighs> well <laughs> this is sandwiched and there's a lot of rebellion talk that comes up between these three chapters in eddard 15 at the very end of the chapter we have varies talking to ned and it has some of these strong themes that are pretty thematically woven in throughout the end of the book Rhaenys was a child, too, Prince Rhaegar's daughter, a precious little thing, younger than your girls. She had a small black kitten she called Balerion, did you know? I always wondered what happened to him. Rhaenys liked to pretend he was the true Balerion, the black dread of old, but I imagine the Lannisters taught her the difference between a kitten and a dragon quick enough the day they broke down her door. Uh, opening... Opening and closing, like opening with the rebellion after closing with that about the rebellion and about the slaughter of the rebellion is not a good sign for how this starts off because we know a new rebellion is being born right now, right? And this time the rebellion leader is a Rob. It's Rob, but it's not Robert, right? Mm -hmm. It's a different man, a different young man about to lead and a different young man that will learn the lesson that the Lannisters taught Rhaenys too. Absolutely. The difference between... A wolf and... A dire wolf and a lion. <laughs> a dire wolf and a normal wolf. <laughs> yeah, right. Even, that, even that works. Um, Look, inside of you, there are two wolves. One is really big and the other is like normal sized. Uh, and you are a man. <laughs> well, speaking of men, Edgar had called the banners and yet Lord Frey, again, just sits here with 4,000 men. So Rob is more confused than angry, but he'll be angry soon enough. It's fine. Teenagers. And tells his mother that, well, I mean, Lord Frey must mean to join his power to theirs, right? Like, he's not going to fight the Lannisters themselves. And Catelyn's like, does he? <laughs> Just I mean, some uh, comprehension check questions, young Rob. Does he? <laughs> does he, though? <laughs> yeah, Rob and Robette. Very not confusing. Uh, rode together today. It's not like Smurfette. Um, the van <laughs> moving slowly behind them. Catelyn tells her son to expect nothing of Walder Frey and you'll never be surprised. Rob is surprised to hear her speak of Walder in this casual tone. And she's like, some men take their oaths more seriously than others. And Lord Walder is more friendly with Casterly Rock than my father ever liked, including the wedded kin. Yeah. Though she notes that doesn't mean much, right? Because Walder has many children, and they all have to marry someone. I mean, they don't all have to. What do they want, Walder? To be fair, a lot of them have gone after a couple things they wanted, right? Some of them are out to get married, and you even have some that are at the Citadel learning. That's true. Now, that's not always considered a great honor, but sometimes it is. Yeah. Eh. 
I mean, there were Targaryens a dime a dozen, and there were a handful that wanted to go there back in the Fire and Blood book, right? Yeah, some people think it's fun. Yeah, I mean, I know my husband is all about the whole learning thing. He's like, I would be at the Citadel reading books and smelling their fancy library. Okay. I mean, me too. Yeah, but... I would, but like then they'd kick me out, so whatever. <laughs> yeah, they'd catch me like rolling a blunt in one of the book's pages. Ah. Robat Glover asks if she thinks Walder means to betray them to the Lannisters, lol. Does and he? And Catelyn is like, I don't know if he knows what he wants to do. And I read this chapter, so I'm like, oh, I think he might know what he wants to do. She says he has an old man's caution, but a young man's ambition, and he has never lacked for cunning. Mm-hmm. Rob starts to get a little heated in that young Rob way. Reminding her, well, we have to have the twins and there's no other way to cross. And she and Lord Walder, she adds, both undoubtedly know this. Yeah. So again, we get a lot of that establishing of this world and things going on in these chapters. Last chapter showed how, you know, narrow and important some of these parts of Westeros are for transportation and um, crossing the strategic advantages that certain terrain have. And this one, you know, within this very same chapter, you're showing us the stakes of why the twins are so important. It it was kind of told to us last chapter, but here we're really building that up, and also, therefore, why the price of crossing is so high. Prices and payment and things, that's, that's like a big theme in this very first book, you know, especially with how it ends with Daenerys and stuff, so. Yeah. I was just gonna say, the price, uh, trading that price for life and death, and this is life or death for them yeah. right now. Yeah. It's Ned's life or death. Well, they camp on the south end of the bogs that night, between King's Road and River, and Theon Greyjoy brings word from the Blackfish. Brynden had crossed swords with Lannister men, who, Theon reports, won't be reporting back to Lord Tywin anytime soon, slash ever. He does this grinning. Little macabre, dude. Tone it down, right? Not the time, not the place. Tone it down a little. Theon's out here. He's like, yeah, yeah, fight club. Let's do it. <laughs> oh, he would. Uh, you know he would. Theon Durden, as everyone calls him, you know, actually, the, 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 yeah, the theory. That is. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, you find Reek out there trying to eat fat from rats, right? Hmm. True, true, true. Interesting. <laughs> well, Adam Marbrand is commanding the Lannister Outriders, Theon reveals, but he's pulling back south, burning as he goes. The Blackfish thinks he knows somewhat where the armies lie, but that the Lannisters will not know where they plan to split their army. Unless Lord Frey tells him, Catelyn says sharply, commanding Theon to place his best bowmen around the twins with orders to kill any ravens they see. Damn. She does not want the birds bringing Rob's movements to Tywin, but Theon says Brendan's already seen to it. They've almost enough birds for a pie now. How many birds do you need for a pie? Like two. Right? Like, how? I guess they have a big army. I mean, like, how big of a pie? I don't know, then you would make multiple pies. Anyway, um, uh, interesting. Anyways, so I feel, I know that she says that she should have expected, and she's like, oh, of course my uncle already thought of that. But I do think that it shows that Kat has those smart ideas, right? Those orders didn't come from Rob, and she's shown to have the same line of thinking as, like, someone who has a lot of military experience and who is famed which sort of displays her own cunning as well. Yeah, that's a great point. And Catelyn in general, like, I really love how she was very urgent, right? You could tell she had that mother moment, that uh, protectiveness come over her and wash over her because 
she actually relates it directly to her son, right? She's like, I will not be having my son, you know, murder trained because of the phrase sending messages to the Lannisters. <laughs> Sorry, it was hard to say. It was really hard. It's really hard to read this chapter. But yeah, I think that's a really great thing that she was about to do no matter what. Like she was ready to dive in there and it does remind me of how she was with Bran, right? How she straight up told everyone, like, I would kill every fucking horse in Winterfell Mm -hmm. if it meant saving my son. Absolutely. Well. There's this other part of this, though, that, look, I think there's some foreshadowing or some even some groundwork for future plots happening here. So Theon comes back with all of this, and he says they almost have enough birds for a pie now. You don't need that many. (laughs) Right? They could start selling them. Maybe it's hot pie foreshadowing. Uh, (laughs) Theon then says that he promises to save the feathers for her for a hat. And some things here just really stand out, right? They're obviously Lady Stoneheart motifs, raven feathers, just a lot of the themes of the Warring and the Riverlands, pie. Funny that Pi comes up here when Pi comes up again for the phrase later on. And, uh, of course, the the cough-cough birds, I guess, and a storm of swords with Joffrey's wedding pie. But uh, there's also that thought of, like, the crow feathers. Lady Stoneheart, Catelyn, wearing a hat made of crow feathers. Um, It's a literal hat of dark wings, dark words, Mm. right? Which Theon will bring them in the next book as he takes Winterfell and kills Bran. You know, with the Raven connection and Rickon, not really kills them. Uh, but also, literally following this, there is this line, Not a day's ride from here, we found two Lannister scouts feeding the crows where the phrase had strung them up. Yes, yes. That All really of that is out. so loud. It's so loud. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm like, shut up, George. I get it. God. Yeah, I think that if anyone should have, like, I don't know, a hat of, like, raven feathers, it should be Lord Titus Blackwood to go with his cloak. Yeah. You know? I mean, all I care about is that cloak. It's fashion, baby. <laughs> all I care about fashion. is fashion. <laughs> all I care about is fashion, just like uh, Titus. I mean, it is actually, it's very much a statement. But, but yeah, absolutely. I, it's also kind of funny, you know, just seeing Theon again from other POVs and in this first book. He's just so different, right? It's it's such a trip. And I do think a lot of what you're saying, right, it absolutely is foreshadowing. The chapters right before this in the veil had a lot of that language about, like, Alyssa's tears and then the, some of that other Stoneheart sort of language. I don't know for mm-hmm. sure that George knew that he was going to call her that yet or if he, was like, went through his stuff. He's like, you know, it'd be fun if I just took some of this shit and, like, went with it, right? He's He's good at that, but... I think it's perfect because it does come up, obviously. Yeah, I, in her like her thinking of it, so it's perfect. Yeah, I think I, I don't know if it, I just don't know if it was intentional or not, right? But he he's very good at closing those loops, and you mm-hmm. can see how once upon a time though, like between this chapter and the previous ones, like the Alyssa's tears, definitely, but like, you know, you can see how storm clash and. The Game of Thrones were all once upon a time one book. <laughs> I mean, yeah. kind of. You can almost see it. You're like, I can see how these would all have gone together. But then you look at how many things happened in all those books and you're like, what did you do, George? I mean, I watched the show. I, I like get it. it. I mean, I, I, I get how these could have been used. But yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and like, then you have like all of this set up, right? In these same. In the same yeah. It makes sense. It makes sense. 
And no, I'm so glad that it ends up playing the long game too. Uh, I did a lot of reading the last chapter versus this chapter just to see some of the same language with oaths and Mm -hmm. uh, some of the sarcastic language going on and the dark kind of language being placed around things in the, well, both of the chapters, not just Kat's last chapter, but the chapter before that when they first get to the twins. Uh, I could see where you could just natural progression rate to it somehow you know, like, oh, and then it happened. But that uh-huh. book in between is really necessary, I think. I think it just is a bigger tragedy, harder and darker. And we're going to get into it. Yeah. We're get into it. And I mean, like, you know, it, it's a stronger story for it. But also at the same time, the yeah. price we've paid is, you know, again, one day we're going to be grandma's gone canon. We're going to be like, is it trying to break out yet? So. I dreamed I was old. Anyway. The phrase of seeing the little fighting between Adam's men and Walder's and the Lannister scouts, as you said, were hanged up to feed the crows. Hmm. Catelyn thinks that is such a major Walder move. Hold back, wait, watch, take no risk unless he must. And Rob doesn't necessarily see it that way, and Catelyn reminds him that defending his land is one thing, and battling Tywin is another ask entirely. So, Rob asks Theon if the Blackfish has found a way to cross the Green Fork, but it turns out the water is running too high, too fast, and cannot be forded. Yeah, and when you get to the end of uh, A Storm of Swords there, it's the same thing, right? That the water is just, it won't be this low again, this is the only time they can come back. So I love that it traps them on the way in, and then it... Does not trap them on the way out, but they get trapped somehow else. And Rob is pissed again, right? He's right back to that uh, that young Rob mad anger. He is like, I gotta have this crossing. There's no ifs, ands, buts. I have to. And he determines Tywin is marching north. We don't have time to cross the river on our horses with armor. Lord Frey is the only way. Theon pipes up saying, we could fight our way through as we easily have five times Lord Walder's numbers, but Catelyn says that would not be easy, and we do not have the time. If we spend time assaulting him, Tywin will come take us in the rear. Yeah. (laughs) So this is meant to contrast Catelyn's own wisdom, of course, right, in several ways. Theon's advice, which is not good advice. That, of course, her (laughs) first inclination isn't violence, because how could it be, right? She hasn't been socially conditioned for it to be. What she turns mm-hmm. to, it's not something that she's often had power over. At the same time, right? Again, we're seeing a lot of Theon, and it's building up his own character, right? That idea yeah. of like, oh, you know what's a good idea? Trying to take a castle that cannot be taken easily. Hmm. 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 Wonder what it means. <laughs> and that I can't hold. Hmm. Whatever. Hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll like pencil that thought in for myself later. Uh, it's a kink. Put it right up there next to my dad doesn't love me. Yep. That's the young yep. joy. <laughs> Rob looks to his mom, looking just for a moment far younger than his 15 years, and he's like, what would father do? She responds, Ned would find a way across, whatever it took. Whatever it takes. I know I can make it through. Um, mm, mm, if Lord Valdefrey... Oh my king. Okay, <sighs> so... I love this dialogue with her and Rob that Ned would find a way across whatever it took because John 8 is literally the next chapter, right? So John says, talking to Eamon, he would do whatever was right 
no matter what about his father, about Ned. Uh, and again, mm. this is Ned becoming that myth in those chapters. And I love that wordplay being kind of paired against itself. And coming back to those rebellion hints that kind of end off of Ned's chapter, we continue to get these hints of Rhaenys and Aegon's deaths and what betrayal that really was in the next chapter, in John's chapter from Aemon. Aemon says to him, My ravens would bring the news from the south, words darker than their wings, the ruin of my house, the death of my kin, disgrace, desolation. What could I have done, old, blind, frail? I was helpless as a suckling babe, yet still it grieved me to sit forgotten as they cut down my brother's poor grandson, and his son, and even the little children. Uh, this is setting up that betrayal and murder of the Stark Coalition for us and framing the Starks eventually for the reader to be associated in that Martell Targaryen loss, right? To be associated in these are the next betrayed houses by the people that have milked this system for evil. Uh, it sets up the reader to actually associate these stories with these characters and to feel those same hurt feelings when they realize, oh no, another set of our heroes have been murdered by the Lannisters. I think it's interesting how George likes to associate those same emotions for these characters and these arcs and kind of reel you in with it and play with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we talked a little bit about back then, right? Likening Ned and Doran, but here, as you said, they're they're setting that up and it's interesting. Sandwiching Catelyn in it. Yeah, and also because like you think that Rob is going to stay alive, but turns out Rob is that other end, right? He's He's the brother that Eamon is talking about, like, oh shit, my family all died. They were all dying. And I mean, we even see that within this book, right? When, when John's like, all right, I'm going to desert now. I'm going to go. I'm going to yep. go to my brother. And they're like, are you but sure? But when they're actually all cut down in the third book, he doesn't because he can't. Yeah. So And he makes it's his It's bigger choice. than him then. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I'll talk about this a little more later on as well in the same chapter, but I love how you brought up that echo of what Ned would do and it comes back to he would do whatever it was right or whatever it takes and the problem is those interpretations right mm -hmm. Ned would do whatever <laughs> he thought was right but every single person in the world has I mean not everyone has the shit, same morals right not everyone comes to everything with the same mm -hmm. perspective what they think is right will differ and I think that that of course there are people who are willing to do whatever is right whatever it takes to do what is right but you know, like, not not everyone does. Robert Baratheon wasn't willing to do whatever it was mm -hmm. right. He knew it was right. He wasn't willing to do it. But those who are, it differs. And Net, uh, Rob and John, I think, even have different interpretations, as we see, of what is right. And I think Rob also especially has a very different interpretation of what is right from his father. Yeah. Well, and I think there's something interesting in John interpreting it differently, too. Because John has that opposite thing for now, until we someday get The Winds of Winter, which is coming next week. Look under your chair. <laughs> it's there. <laughs> Everyone you look get under a, your chair. You get a wins. You get a wins. Oh, I wish I could do that for all of you. I, I wish that you could be like on, uh, on the phone with us. This isn't on the phone. I wish you could all be on the podcast listening with us and then all of a sudden look under your chair and there it is. But, you know, John will have to probably face kingship in different manners throughout the rest of his plot and right now it's the opposite right because he is stripped of those titles he finds a different way to cope with some of those things until he doesn't until he tries to save Arya. 
But for Rob, it's the opposite, right? Like he is playing under a different set of rules than John gets to now play under. Yeah, and I think this is something where Rob actually internalizes some of uh, Ned's parenting and Catelyn's parenting, but maybe more mm-hmm. of Catelyn's, right? Because she's also the parent that we see closer to him right now, and she's the one who kind of shows, like, and, and as we've discussed, believes that the world, the world's mm-hmm. rules hold true. And so when Rob yeah. makes the choices that he does and, and what he thinks is right, he's choosing what is right within the those same societal rules mm-hmm. yeah and you know the next morning we have brendan tully rejoin them and if there's anyone that is just living a much better life right now here with this rebellion group it is brendan tully because he is in lighter leather and mail with his obsidian fish still fastening his cloak but he's just fashionable uh, he himself, and you know, he is obviously where Catelyn has learned a little bit of this battle stuff as well, not just from Ned. So he's back, he's free, he feels free, he's out there swashbuckling with his sword, not chained down at the Eerie, he can move freely. Uh, and it almost reminds me of, I want to say it was a Jamie chapter where he has this like inner monologue about having a sword in his hand and how it feels and that freedom, right? I think it's while he's training with Ill in pain or fighting with Brienne or I don't know, something. And something about that ecstasy and like that freedom that it gives him. And I'm reminded of that here for Brynden and how he's described as looking lighter. Mm, I like that. Good for him. But yeah, he doesn't look happy, though. No, he doesn't. I mean, it's a, it's a mix, right? He's free, but things are things are difficult right now. You know, there was a battle under Riverrun's walls and the Kingslayer destroyed Edmure's host and sent the Lords of the Trident reeling in flight. Also, Edmure was taken prisoner and not not, not <laughs> the only time this is going to happen. Wounded. Edmure's got a rough go of it. Anyways. I do feel bad for him here. I feel bad for him a lot. Lord Blackwood again. Uh, and others, they are under siege. They're surrounded by Jamie's host. Jamie does a lot of things in the Riverlands overall. Uh, and worse, Lord Frey has pulled his strength back within his walls and his gates are closed and barred. And so, again, here we are. I love this. Rob thinks he isn't going to have a choice but to pull the twins down if Walder doesn't let them cross, which kind of reminds me, again, to come back to that rebellion of Ned pulling down the Tower of Joy after mm. dealing with the Kingsguard who were not letting him cross, now that I say it. Uh, Catelyn totally talks Rob down. She's like, you're kind of sounding bratty. You're being a sulky brat child right now. You're a lord, not a child, and lords must learn that words can accomplish what swords cannot. It also reminds me a little of that scene of Sweet Robin Wright stomping the castle. Yes. Speaking of children. <laughs> yeah. It is a, a bratty thing to do. And, you know, I'm going to say two different things here. They're both kind of contradictory, but, you know, just go with it. Um, it's a fictional book and not real life. Uh, so coming back to something we discussed last episode about we were talking about how teenagers, right, in leadership positions, making bad diplomatic or actually very undiplomatic choices. Now it led to an era that was very heated, right, because people were making <laughs> rash choices because they were teenagers and... Anyway, also, you know, that that plays into how Kat becomes this role and the advice that she gives as a negotiator, right? These these teenage boys are interested in bravado fighting, shows of strength. They think that's the way to get things done. 
And I mean, also, I guess Theon's a pretty big influence in Rob's life. Not the best influence, and he's older. So, anyway, <laughs> um, but in terms of what Kat does and why she's like, you know, words can accomplish what swords cannot. I want to bring up this statistic from the Council on Foreign Relations that was uh, studied by Desiree Nielsen. Um, well, it's it, it's on the Council on Foreign Relations page. There's actually a different study elsewhere, but it's cited a lot. Anyways. The point is, peace negotiations that include women are more li- likely to last. Um, the participation of civil society groups, right, including women's organizations, make peace agreements 64% less likely to fail. I know it's framed like as less likely to fail, and I feel like that language is pointed, and I don't mean to put a negative construction on it, but I feel like these people are, are experts, and they pick those words for a reason. Mm-hmm. That I don't know enough of. <laughs> um, but that seems, uh, yeah, so anyway... I want to bring that up. That's interesting. But also, on the other hand, on the completely different side, when it comes to, you know, things that still, like, involve killing, also related to Walter Frey and Tywin Lannister, again, that line of words can accomplish what swords cannot, there's that line that Tywin says to Tyrion of, some battles are won with swords and spears, others with quills and ravens. Though it is kind of a lie because swords were still involved, but whatever. Well, you know, that's why he wins, because when the villains know the smart stuff, shit goes haywire, I'm telling you. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, that is interesting about the thing you said about women, the women's organizations and women being present in peace agreements, you know, makes it generally better off than it was before. And I'm just curious if that's because women exist <laughs> Well, it, that actually literally is part of it, right? Because especially if it's like in places of... In the society, well, like within. Actually, no, literally, because in in places with conflict, right, there are like correlations between gender equity and and peace within like countries and areas, and women being at the negotiation table, they are, you know, they'll, they'll be less rash, but they'll also ensure the security of women's rights and things like that in the rebuilding process, which helps with societal stuff because if you want to build back well you got to make sure that you know half your economy (laughs) is there and can do shit yeah that is what i was facetiously implying yes no but you're i mean that's true it's it's real (laughs) i was just saying because women you know exist actually again literally Uh, well it's important just to include them you know like i don't know i just wouldn't order dinner for somebody without asking what they wanted shit the woman is important Uh, too but again literally to quote aria (laughs) but she didn't say but literally to quote aria woman exist well i don't want to get too far into the female perspective uh rob doesn't quite understand what Catelyn means when she says this about swords and ink quills and all that jazz and she's words. like <laughs> words she's like Rob the phrase have held this crossing for 600 years and they never fail to exact their toll Rob asks what the toll is and she says that it is what we must discover <laughs> it's a surprise Rob and what if I do not choose to pay this toll then you would best retreat back to Moat Caitlin, deploy to meet Lord Tywin in battle, nor grow wings. I see no other choice. Well, yeah. I mean, when you don't pay the toll, you get a bill later on, and it's usually way more expensive than the toll you would have paid. 
from my own experiences. <laughs> and sometimes if you steal your toll money back... You can do that? They will kill you. Uh-oh. No, but I was oh. making a metaphor, too. I'm sorry. I was making a metaphor, too. Sorry. Oh. Uh. I thought you were talking from experience. Like, you reached into the little thingy. And I was like, what the shit? Anyway. <laughs> You're like, is this a life hack? Uh, <laughs> I did think that. You know, you gotta pay the troll toll to get into the twins. You actually do. Catalan puts her heels to her horse, leaving Rob to ponder what she said. She knows she shouldn't make him feel like she's usurping his place, and she thinks, Did you teach him wisdom as well as valor, Ned? Did you teach him how to kneel? The graveyard of the Seven Kingdoms were full of brave men who had never learned that lesson. Yeah, so that book ends with Rob not kneeling. Um, spoiler. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> spoiler. <laughs> but also, it, it's an interesting question because, yeah, Rob isn't the king who knelt. And that is very much a legacy of the Starks in the North. The king who kneels will probably be John. Also, though, to be fair, right now, this is one thing. But after the next chapter, I mean, they, it, it's like how we just saw the River Lord get killed, which spurred the Riverlands into like, you know, hey, fuck that. We're not standing for that. Oh, yeah. And... When they kill Ned, it's over. When Ned's dead, it's over, dude. It, it, that's it. I mean, I it, mean, there's no. It's over. It makes sense because it's it's as much of like yeah, Torin Stark is part of the Stark legacy, but so are of course Brandon and Rickard, and it's like that same cycle all over again. How can you kneel to that when they keep killing your lords? Exactly, and you can't. And I mean, it makes sense that it, it's unjust, but also mm -hmm. it's also a matter of literal power right like they can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Lannisters as we see like the next two books also the Lannisters mm -hmm. don't have dragons it's a different it's a different calculus entirely I mean the Lannisters have to socially cheat to win yeah absolutely yeah. they land finally outside of the twins it's about midday and they make for the massive smooth gray rock bridge it's wide enough for two wagons to pass. We'll see that come to fruition later in the Arya chapter, right? Haha, <laughs> sad. With a water tower rising in the center. It had taken the phrase three generations to complete this, and when they had finished, they threw timber keeps on either bank to keep trespassers from heading through. The timber, though, had given way and was now stone, and they had the twins, two very ugly, formidable castles with heavy oak and iron gates. Beep, One beep, glance beep. is sufficient enough to tell Catalan that this castle could not be taken by storm of swords. Beep, beep, beep. Drawbridge up, portcullis down, gates barred, the great John begins to curse. Karstark glowers in silence and Roos points out, this cannot be assaulted. Yeah, taller degrees, no siege either, even if they had the time, which they do not. And I'm just like, Jan, we already know. Catelyn already told us all of this earlier. <laughs> Tell us something we don't know. I know there was like, I, I will say, since it is our ABC, you know, our, our elementary first book, there's a lot of, I have to get have this bridge. I have to be able to cross this yeah. bridge. Like. I'm, and like then it's the guys repeating the same things Rob already said at the beginning of the chapter. I'm like, Catelyn yeah. said that. Rob said that. Come on, George, get to the meat. But that's okay. It that's okay. It's Game of Thrones in this chapter. Like, but it actually is. Like Rob has that exact same sequence like twice within this. 
I don't know if it is as repetitive. Like, it, it's probably also because we've reread this chapter before. Not just yeah. for this episode. It's not the first reread. We always joke this is a reread podcast, but we unfortunately have spent probably a good portion of our lives reading this book now. Yeah, this you is know. the book that I uh, read the most often because I sometimes get stuck in my reread. Then I'm like, I gotta start over again. <laughs> it's an easy book to read for this reason. I mean, I don't know that I would have noticed a lot of the repetition. There's more repetition as we keep going that comes up. Sure. That I also think some of it, as you look through the book, is just like George trying on hats and being like, no, this hat doesn't look quite nice on me after all. It's not as bad as some of the repetition that is, I think, in my opinion, glaring and kind of flawed in fire and blood but no that's fair that's really fair that yeah. is we we discussed that in some of our episodes which uh are all on our patreon if you would like to take a look but let's take a look here at the castle they're examining the castle we're examining the castle and then one of alder's weasley sons appears it's stevron Frey, his heir stevron is past 60 with grandchildren of his own but he's polite enough he asks, who leads the mighty host? And Rob pushes his horse forward. He was in his armor with the direwolf shield of Winterfell strapped to his saddle, and Greywind padding by his side. The old knight looked at her son with a faint flicker of amusement in his watery gray eyes, though his gelding wickered uneasily and sidled away from the direwolf. So reading this... I think that the reader is supposed to feel a little annoyed, right, on behalf of Rob and Catelyn, the way that the phrase are acting, and it, it is infuriating, but I also, like, had to stop and wonder with this, you know, would I have felt different in Stevron's shoes? I don't really know. I probably wouldn't, but also at the same time, maybe I would be a little different in that I would, I would definitely ask to pet the dog. I'd ask to pet the terrifying murder dog. And then I would invite everyone into my father's house so that the dog could stay longer and we could be friends. You know, I've literally seen you ask to pet so many dogs <laughs> that, like, this doesn't surprise me. It doesn't. If there's a dog, she'll pet it. So, mm -hmm. I don't know. I also, like, it's kind of funny because... Rob did just show up outside his door in a rebel cosplay with a doggo. You know, <laughs> he like, did. I get it. Yeah. I mean, like, they're like, hey, we're on our way to Anime Central. Can you let us in? And he's trying you to know? grow a beard. <laughs> he's a kiddo. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, looks can be exactly. deceiving. You know, who knew the kid was going to tear it up at the Whispering Wood? Yeah, I didn't. He's a, he's a prodigy. He's literally yeah. genius at this. That is kind of the big part of this, right? Because this chapter is such a gamble because he is not yet known to be a prodigy. Like, we don't know that Rob's going to somehow just kick everyone's ass. But, uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, he's leading well so far, but, like, we just don't know that he's about to, like, open a can of 15-year-old whoop-ass on everyone. And I think that's part of the point, right? Not only is it a wolf, right? Ta going back to the whole dog thing, he's the underdog in this. Yeah. Kid Wonder. Absolutely. Hey, sport. Hercules. Sport. I mean, it is crazy, like, <laughs> it's Hercules shit, you know? Kid wonder. Sport. Yeah. <sighs> well, nonetheless, Stevron invites Rob to share meat and mead with Walder in the castle, and, of course, to explain his purpose here. His words are not really welcomed by the lords. They all disapprove loudly, and they're like, he mustn't go. Lord Walder isn't to be trusted. And then, of course, Roose Bolton pipes up, and he's like, Go in there alone, and you're his. He can sell you to the Lannisters, throw you in a dungeon, 
or slit your throat as he likes. Interesting. I just have to say, this one officer, put him under arrest. I think he's the one. If we just arrest him now, we can prevent the other books. There's just like red flags all over. Red flags all over the twins. Red flags all over Bruce Bolton. Like, oh my god. Everyone take off you your rose-colored glasses. don't just say glasses. that, Bruce. Right. Jesus. Right. Interesting. Uh, I mean, everyone's like... We should just murder this castle. It's weak enough. We should murder weak castles, Rob. And then Roos is like, well, what if you got murdered by the Lannisters in a really specific way? Just curious. Asking for a friend. Asking for a friend. Uh, Her friend is my bastard son. And me. But yeah. Yeah. I will say side note, though. I mean, he's not the only one who's like, I don't know that it's a good idea that you go in there, right? Roos is the only one who like has very specific strange fantasies about what really happens. But everyone's kind of <laughs> got the same idea. Uh, but is everyone just traumatized, right, from Ares's reign? I mean, obviously, it's a threat regardless, and they know how this works. But that's kind of what happened to Ares with, uh, you know, at Duskendale. He got that is a great point. It's like a it's a consistent thing for the Lannisters. Yes. To to help entrap kings. Yeah, so it, it it's a point. It's a good point. Wendell, Manderly, and Willis both declare that you know what? Walder Frey should just invite all of us in. Or he should get his ass down here and come treat here in front of all of us, all of his men and ours. And Catelyn, of course, shares all of these doubts. She's like, everyone has a point, but she's also not stupid. And she sees that Stefan does not look very happy about this and realizes if they keep going with this, like, line of discussion, they're going to lose their chance entirely. I mean, it is fairly insulting to just say that shit in front of someone. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was re- I-, I don't know if it has ever stood out so strongly, but I was like- a little thrown. I was like, can you guys shut the fuck up? You're it's gonna get us rude. all killed now. It's so we have two rude. whole books. It's very discourteous. Yeah. It is discourteous, and I don't know. Uh, they should have discussed it I'm, beforehand, actually. His his lord. Yeah, that's a thing. They're having a war council out loud and in front of, you know, possible enemies. Yeah. I don't know. Just don't slander your possible hosts to their face. My God. Have a little decency. Yeah, what talk is the about north? them behind their back wait. Stevrin, darling, could you turn around? (sighs) Well, Catelyn finally sucks it up and she declares, I will go. Walder is my father's bannerman. I've known him since I was a girl and he would never offer me any harm. (laughs) But she does think, unless he saw profit in it, but she keeps that to herself. Some lies were necessary. Interesting. Sounds like something that happens in one of her daughter's storylines. Both of them, actually. I was thinking about that with Sansa. When I think about it. Oh, yeah. Arya keeping her lies to herself. She's got a lot of lies. Her stark identity in her heart. They both have a lot of lies. Lies and Arbor. Hmm. (sighs) Ah, gold. Yeah, less Arbor gold in Arya's story, though. Just gold. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I mean, she's saying it to comfort everyone. Which is a lot of what those lies are that come up in Sansa's storyline, but it's also not said aloud here, and I'm sure that all of you can piece it together, but it's not just that Catelyn is the one who knows Walder Frey the best, and that Walder Frey is her father's bannerman. Part of her going, we started this discussion a little last week when we were discussing the value of women and girl hostages, 
And <laughs> Kat goes and treats with Walter Frey, partially because, again, she buys into those Westerosi codes of conduct. She thinks people are going to probably behave themselves, probably. But she also knows that I don't know so much with Walter Frey. It's still a gamble. But she also believes herself expendable as his mother, as a woman, and especially compared to her son, who's leading the host of the North right now. And I mean, yeah, she actually is better equipped to treat with Walder in many, many, many different ways. Uh, and she also has the power, as we've seen, to make certain agreements in her family's name. That's a big part of it, too, because they're, you know, this is part of what it meant at the beginning of the chapter when she knew she had to be a Stark and not a Tully. That means having the power to make those agreements on Rob's behalf. Because mm -hmm. also then she has to ask, a Stark has to ask, whereas I think that Atali may or may not have had a little more leverage to order Lord Frey. I mean, yeah. obviously it only goes so far because, you know, there's 4,000 men here and not at River Run, but whatever. That's true, but I also do think that, I do think that that's also the doing in factor here, Right. Like, not only that, not only that Atoli could have maybe perhaps tried to order Lord Frey and does pull a little more weight, but that's also the doing in factor that, like, he, how do I put this? Walder Frey fucking hates the Tullys. Mm -hmm. Fucking, Walder Frey has a tramp stamp that says, fuck the Tullys, okay? He's Rob all like, fuck those Walder Muppets. He fucking hates them. He's like, fuck that one, fuck that one, fuck that one, because he's old. He's known a lot of them, and every single one of the ones, as we're about to hear, that he, like, has known in the past, oh, couple decades, has personally hurt him, right? Like, grudge-worthy personally hurt him, and he's been harboring that resentment for so long. So it's a bummer because it makes sense. Like, obviously, she's going to go talk to him. She's the closest in relation in general to Walter uh -huh. Frey, uh, but it's kind of doomed from the start, from that get-go. It is. Yeah, we love doom. <laughs> Stevron leaves his brother, Perwin, as insurance, and Rob says he will be their honored guest. He requests Catalan's return by Evenfall, and Stevron gives him a polite nod. Walder's sons and envoys fall in around her as she heads in, and she remembers what her father once said. Walder is the only lord in the Seven Kingdoms who could field an army out of his breaches. Hmm. They entered a 20 living sons, 36 grandsons, 19 great-grandsons, numerous daughters, bastards, grand-bastards, and they all stand in the hall as she arrives. She now understands what her father meant. Walder himself is a 90-year-old pink weasel, bald, gouty. His new wife looks to be a frail girl of 16. The eighth Lady Frey. Yeah, they're actually all described as looking very much like weasels. And I just think of like a pack of the Pokemon Young Goose <laughs> and Gumshoes. Like mm. in the middle, in the middle, Walder Frey is like a bald Gumshoes. And then everyone's like a little Young Goose around. I don't know that I've seen them, but I'm going to take your word and look it up. <sighs> you should. They are they are fun Pokemon. <laughs> I don't know what they look like, but I'm imagining them to look like Walder. Maybe we'll put them in the show notes. <laughs> oh my god. Catelyn greets him sweetly, but Walder asks her to spare her the sweet words. Yes, why are you here? And oh, is Rob too proud to come before him? Uh, we get a glimpse at that chip on his shoulder that you were talking about. The last <laughs> time that Catelyn 
visited the twins, she was just a girl, but Walder hadn't really changed much, she was just as blunt as then, and age had only made him worse. <laughs> she knows she must choose her words carefully. Stevron sticks up for her and is like, hey, she is a guest, dad. And he's like, I'm not dead yet, so shut the fuck up, Stevron. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, this chapter's gold. <laughs> Chloe was really excited to do this chapter. She's, she <laughs> doesn't know. usually hype up. She doesn't usually hype up right before we record on her Twitter, but she was hyping it up. It's the Frailer Park Boys, man. I love the Frailer Park Boys. This chapter is just gold. You know, like there's another one of the younger sons of Walder, and he's like, Dad, this is a noble guest. Like, you should definitely be nice. And he's like, You're nothing but a little sperm that fell out of me, bastard. He doesn't say that, but he basically says that. And he's yeah. like, Oh, now my bastards presume to teach me courtesy? <laughs> he just doesn't care. He's so old. Uh, I can't wait to be that old someday. I'm going to be so mean. Um, so, of course, Walder has a smackdown every time, right? He has golden lines like, I'll speak any way I like, damn you. I've had three kings to guest in my life and queens as well. Do you think I require lessons from the likes of you? Your mother was milking goats the first time I gave her my seed. Damn. You can see how he and Bruce get along, I guess. I mean, you know, uh, it's kind of a shit show, and I think that's why I like it so much. They are a shit show. Even just like... So watching this scene play out, you almost sympathize for the dumb motherfucker because I'm the villain. Right? Okay, Boomy. This is still an anti-Frey account, everyone. Still an anti-Frey account. But Walder is, like, very similar to Catelyn in some aspects of the whole buying into the societal values and playing into them. He's done the same thing Catelyn's supposed to do, right? He's pushed out kids, held his great keep, and married them off correctly. Uh, and most of this dialogue between them, he's saying all the things publicly that she wishes and she thinks all the time, in her head, and sometimes says to Rob, she has already thought or said most of the things he said in this chapter, but she can't say it out loud usually, right? Like, she's not really allowed to say it constantly in front of great lords for that whole reason that Walder is a lord and she is but a humble lady in his keep. Walder has had all these kids, married all the ladies, played the nice way for a little bit in his life back when he was like 14 for a second, and uh, still been shit on by the society. And he took that and he's like, I'm the villain, right? He's like, I'm going to become the greatest Riverlands villain. He is totally trash. And I don't know if I'd be that much classier if I had my own beautiful great keep. I'd pr- I could be trash too. But he hates these customs and these people, the same people Catalan hates, the same customs she kind of hates, but instead of subscribing to those customs conservatively, which Catalan kind of does, he just shits in them and he comes wherever the fuck he wants and he's like, boom, everywhere is my fucking toilet. And uh, Catalan knows this. She knows like that's the difference between them, that he's just this uncouth old man and she does leverage some of that like societal stuff against him with the Tywin thoughts later. I don't know. I, I do think it's interesting that no one underestimates his cunning necessarily. Mm. They at least acknowledge his cunning, but his uncouth behavior, I think kind of, I think it puts them off, right? And I don't know if Catalan, uh, she feels almost blinded in that 
No one in her world could ever be that cruel and uncouth and still be accepted back into the societal contract after they betray it, but obviously that's exactly what we see Walder Frey do throughout the story. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I mean, like, he's very much like Craster, right? Like, he's Mm -hmm. doing all this shitty stuff, and as you said, very uncouth, very cruel, inhospitable, very mean, and, and does a lot of terrible stuff, and he's allowed to get away with it because they need him. Yep. They need the twins, and that's why he knows he can get away with it, and also, same with Craster, right? They need his resources. Uh, I, I, and Walder Frey, I think he knows that. He knows that he holds a powerful mm-hmm. location in Castle, and he's like, why doesn't anyone respect me more? And so now here's, here's my tinfoil. Are all the lords negging him? Because they know <laughs> how important this place is. Maybe in like two generations when he's 110 and when A Dream of Spring has come out. Mm. Uh, Turns out he was maybe. the author the whole time. Oh my god. I just thought maybe by then his value will have fully gone down. You know, just like stocks. I'm telling you, it's all about the stocks, man. <laughs> GameStop. GameStop's gonna come along and just... G-M-E. <laughs> Walder gestures to two of his sons, Danwell and Waylon, to get him into his chair And he takes a seat, a tall chair of black oak whose back is carved in the shape of two towers and a bridge. Fancy chair. I'm really into that chair. Walder's wife covers his legs with a blanket, and then he beckons Cat forward, laying a very dry, papery kiss on her hand. Once the proper courtesies are observed, he asks her why they're here, which, as we know and have heard all chapter, is to cross his gates to Riverrun. Catalan says that's where she thought she'd find him since, you know, he's one of Lord Hoster's bannermen. He gives her a laughing grunt, and he says he called his swords. She saw them on the walls. As soon as his strength had assembled, he intended to march. Well, to send his sons, at least. He's a little past marching. So he looks around for confirmation. He's like, this was my plan, right? Everyone, someone back me up. He points to a stooped (laughs) 50-year-old man, Jared, asking him, tell her, tell her, Jared, tell her. And Jared agrees and says, on my honor. And I'm like, all right, Jared. (laughs) I name you liar, bitch. Jared. He went to Jared. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm like, uh, who is this? Why would I trust this man? I don't care about Jared. Anyway, Walder Frey ruins this very sweet moment. He asks Catelyn, is it his fault that her full brother lost his battle before they could march there and then he's like I am told the Kingslayer went through him like an axe through ripe cheese why should my boys hurry south to die all those who did go south are running north again I'm like the man has a point <sighs> look again anti Walder Frey account but the man makes a couple points in this chapter I don't know. He makes Broken points. Clocks. Points are made. Yeah. Catelyn <laughs> thinks about how she would like to spit roast Walder Frey over a fire if she could, but she knows that they have to get that bridge open, and she has to speak to him in private. And coming back to some of that stuff earlier about, is it foreshadowing? I'm also like, is this cannibalism? Anyway. Mm. Mm. Anyway. Interesting. Thoughts, thoughts. He tells all of his kin to get out, get out of the room. Catelyn wants to talk to me in private, including his wife. He tells 
her to leave, and when they're finally gone, he leans in and confesses to Kat that all of his family is waiting for him to die. Severin's been waiting 40 years, but he keeps disappointing them. And Catelyn tells him that she has every hope that he'll live to 100, and he thinks that that would purely boil all of them. Uh, you know, <laughs> I mean, like, he's just holding on for, like, for his own sake and for out of spite because he's proud. He could have stepped down. Jaren Mormont did it. Um, his son's stupid, though, and I hate him. Um, anyways, <laughs> enough of these niceties. Not just mine, but also Walder's. Walder wants the truth, and Catelyn tells him they want to cross. Again, I didn't know they were going to cross that bridge, but now that we've come to it... Uh, I am excited for this imagery because it's it's got some some pretty obvious heavy imagery laden stuff going on here, right? As they cross over the river, it's a transition into death eventually, deliverance, uh, and Catalan can see both of the riverbanks. We get a good view on them in this chapter. From one end to the other, she sees her different stages of her life, chapters of her life changing. That bridge is going to bring her to the death of her father, right? to widowhood, and and later, that bridge is going to take her to her death. Mm. The twins become a sort of necropolis for the Stark Coalition, a city of the dead, and I I know, Eliana, usually I let you do all the river talking, you know, a Rubicon of sorts, especially with that famous die being cast later at the Mm. end, a la Caesar. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, it's not Catelyn's Rubicon, right? It it does, it's Mm -hmm. more of Rob's, Rob's point of no return, especially with the way that his story plays out and how he reacts to some of the promises that are made here. I think, you know, we should highly consider calling it not just like the Rubicon, but a Rob-icon. Rob Starkcon? Rob Starkcon, where we all cosplay like Rob Stark is cosplaying. We all show up, King in the North, headwear on... Little doggos. Oh I know. Yes. <laughs> Actually, this is my favorite convention idea. <laughs> uh, that's literally just ice and fire cod. <laughs> yeah, but there's not enough dogs. There could be more. There's at least three wolves. There is at least, yeah, a couple. There could be more. Um, <laughs> and dogs. Okay. Well, Walder asks why he should let Catalan and her crew pass over his bridge. And for a moment, she's pretty pissed. She's like, If you're strong enough to climb your battlements, you'll see the 20,000 men I have outside your window. But Walder's like, and there'll be 20,000 fresh corpses when Tywin gets here. Hmm. And then he lays down some mean stuff and he's like, don't you try and frighten me, my lady. Your husband's in some traitor's cell under the Red Keep. Your father's sick, might be dying. And Jamie Lannister's got your brother in chains. What do you have that I should fear? That son of yours, I'll match you son for son. I'll still have 18 when yours are all dead. Damn, very uh, rude. It's true, though. He, I mean, yeah, he's absolutely right. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't care about his kids, right? As we right. learned later at the Red Wedding, he's like, I don't know, fuck them kids. But actually, though, he's like, I hate them all. They all just want me to die. Maybe if he was a nicer <laughs> dad. I don't know. It's amazing that not everyone has, like daddy issues in the phrase. I guess they had each other to lean on. Anyway, again, it's not like Walder actually cares about his children, but it is an interesting point when you think about it in the context of gambling and how you were talking about the last line of the chapter, the die was cast. I mean, <sighs> Walder Frey can make some of these risky moves and, and sail this because he has more to spare. He has more to gamble with. Uh, yeah. He doesn't really 
have uh, close bonds with them. I mean, his heir, he fucking hates. <laughs> He's playing it as a quantity game, not a quality uh, game, as we find out when we look at the rest of the phrase. <laughs> yeah, Walder invented spares. You know what I mean? <gasps> yeah. With his cock 90 years oh, ago. Oh my god. I mean, he was fortunate, I guess, that I guess he was very fertile. He could have been I John Aaron. That man comes wherever he wants, is what I'm saying. He could have been John Aaron, you know? And like. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, uh, Catelyn reminds Walder Frey that he swore an oath to Lord Hoster. But Walder Frey interestingly counters that his, he swore oaths to the crown too, and that King Joffrey would actually call your son and the fools with him rebels. And I thought that was an interesting point, especially from Walder Frey, who, as we know, ends up siding with the Lannisters uh, and the crown. But it's meant to remind us, of course, of Robert's Rebellion, right? Harkening back to that again, but it also reminds me a little of, in speaking of the Lannisters, this same sort of proposition and the same question comes up again in Catelyn's chapters at the end of A Clash of Kings when she's talking to Jaime Lannister, and he gives that very famous speech of so many oaths they make you swear and swear, and that's the position that they're putting the phrase in right now. Yeah... That's interesting to bring Jamie right back into this and bringing the rebellion up into it, right? Because I think this is actually the first time uh, this is referred to as a rebellion, mm. which is really good timing and pacing on George's part with where we are in the story, right? With only two Catalan chapters left in the book. This is uh, the first time it's called a rebellion, and this is what it fully embodies soon. Yeah, interesting. Back to Walder. You know, we talked about repetition a little bit ago, and here he says, if I had the sense, I'd help the Lannisters boil y'all. And she's like, well, why don't you just do that then? And he, of course, it comes down to Tywin, right? Proud, splendid, golden, a lion. I did notice Walder use boiling so many times in this chapter, and for a bit I was like, I don't know, maybe it's foreshadowing towards, like, eventual fray pie in a way of boil them all, you know, boil all my kin let them boil about it let them get pissed but to be fair in john 8 lc does say it lord commander does also use boil uh and he says tell hob if he sends me boiled mutton again i'm like to boil him so i wonder if it was just one of those cute things that george was like i'm gonna play with this phrase for a while and see if it works yeah i i think it you know, every now and then he gets stuck on a phrase, right? I wonder if Boyle was one of those, but it's interesting. Ha! Ha! Uh, phrase? Oh! Got him. Got him. But, yeah, I wonder if it's something that he kind of just got stuck on, he, like he does, or if it's like, maybe back then he thought he was going to boil them, as you were saying, instead of putting them in pies. I mean, like, we have the bowls of brown, right? Like, so we have a sort of precedent for cannibalism. In the context of I mean, boiling. he might have boiled the meat, is all I'm saying first. You know, they might have yeah. boiled the meat before they served those pies. Before they baked it, yeah. Sometimes that's easier if you get a little boil going and then you sear yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't made I haven't made a, a meat pie yet. Um, so. Maybe we should make meat pies sometime. Oh my god. Can you believe that we're coming up with this plan while talking about cannibalism? Actually, yes, I can. Would you all like to make meat pies Does anyone us? want we're to try Chloe and my meat pies that we bake? Please, After send this. us an RSVP. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Back to Walder, you know, he just goes off on tangents, and I really do like that. And he does go off, and he's talking about Tywin, and he says, I'll wager you, he eats too many beans, he breaks wind just like me, but you'll never hear him admit it, oh no. What's he got to be so puffed up about anyway? Only two sons, and one of them's a twisted little monster. I'll match him son for son, and I'll still have nineteen and a half left when all of his are dead. If Lord Tywin wants my help, he can bloody well ask for it. And that's it. That tells Catelyn what she needs to hear about what Walder Frame wants. And so she makes her move. She asks him, humbly, for his help, and that her father, brother, husband, and sons are asking with her voice. But Walder just calls these sweet words, which he already gets from his, I guess, 16-year-old wife. And... (laughs) Anyway, I love this moment, though, because it does remind me of those moments that we talked about in Davos's chapters where he is in the role of a diplomat as a negotiator, and he's talking with some of these lords, some high, some not so high, uh, to get a sense of them until he finally susses out what he needs, like what they want, so that he can begin the bargaining to get what he needs, which is sometimes just like his life, right? It's also passage oftentimes. And Catelyn, I think, is the OG of this process in these books, right? Here in book one, this is it. This is one of those first times that we see that happening. And what Walder Frey wants, turns out, it's kind of simple when you think about it. He just wants respect. He wants his pride. Yeah, even here, you know, he says, what does he have that I don't fucking have? I have all these things. I have children. I have a great keep. How come it's Lord Tywin that runs the realm? Uh, and Hoster, you know, to an extent, as we continue hearing. Because even here, he goes on, um, Oh yes, oh yes, Walder is going to keep telling us his grievances. He tells Catelyn he'll have sons on his new wife soon enough. Perhaps he'll even make one heir which would just boil the rest of his kin. He goes on to explain he feels insulted by her father. He didn't come to the last wedding, let alone the recent one, even if he is dying. <laughs> I love that. I was like, damn, Walder, you're petty as fuck. So that means he came to the last six ones, right? (laughs) Yeah, but that's kind of what that sounds like. How many more does he need to come to? Like, I mean, after, like, okay, even if, like, my friends got married, like, yeah, I think I'd stop by the seventh also. Are you trying to tell me you wouldn't come to my seventh wedding? Huh. Um, so... (laughs) (laughs) The conversation does turn a little darker for Walder as well. He calls her out on Hoster, calling him the late Lord Frey, reminding her he'd outlive her father like the rest of them. I mean, she was calling him that just a hot second ago. Your family has always pissed on me. Don't deny it. Don't lie. You know it's true, he says. He tells her years ago he wanted a match between Edmir and one of his daughters, one particularly in mind who was sweet, but he had others if Edmir didn't like her. He says virgins, widows, old ones, young ones, whatever Edmir wants, but Hoster wouldn't hear of it. Just sweet words and excuses. And yeah, to some extent, why would Hoster do that, right? When both of his daughters married the lords of great houses, why would he marry his heir to River Run to a fray? After that, like, and especially when the question now is what does that marriage gain him? 
before the rebellion and, you know, especially before, like, Southern ambitions, we see a lot more lords marrying their vassals. Obviously, some of them would, like, marry across that too, right? But that happened a lot more often and reinforcing those bonds, right, and power and the, the, the sort of uh, dedication that the lords have to their vassals. Uh, but as the lords were preparing for their plan and the southern ambition stuff, these marriages became much more about building alliances across Westeros and what could be gained. So why marry off your heir to a house that should already be pledged to you anyway? You gain nothing. And frankly, even Rob's oath here like fits that pattern, actually, of the southern ambition strategy. So it's not... It does make a little sense in that by marrying a Frey, he is, it's outside of the North. He is gaining power mm -hmm. over the twins and the right to pass through it to some extent. The catch is that it's less valuable. And Chloe's going to talk about this more later because, well, so many other fucking houses have done it too, right? Including the other <laughs> great houses like the Lannisters. So means jack shit. But I also find it so interesting how part of what Walder takes great pride in, his power, uh, as, as we've pointed out, is that there are so many frays. He can make more of those risky moves because there's going to be more of them left. So he's like, fuck it, whatever. Let's just keep going. Keep playing. Right? We, we can keep betting back in. And he boasts of it very often to Kat in this chapter which I think makes it even more interesting that Lady Stoneheart's strategy of revenge at the moment seems to be that she is picking those frays off and whittling away at their strength. Yeah, that is, uh, he's not going to have enough for a football team by the time she's done. <laughs> Holy shit, you know? Or, or a tennis uh, team is what her goal is. Not enough for, get it, because it's like one one person. It is interesting that this is what her dead consciousness has picked up, right? Like, this is what Uncat is doing. She's like, oh yeah, Walder Frey, you're going to sit there and tell me that my 18 sons will outlast all of yours? My 18 sons will outlast all of yours? Well, fuck you, Walder Frey. Yeah. Uh, She's like, if I can't classic. have kids, no one can have kids. You can't have kids. Nobody can. Powerful. Nobody. It is. So powerful. Gatekeep. Gaslight. Girl boss. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, well, and that's not the only family member he has a problem with, right? Like, not just Edmir. Yeah. Also Liza. Your sister. <laughs> yeah, he goes on and he's like, she's full as bad. He recants this whole tale. First, he gets a little tangential, right? Uh, you can't be mad at him there. He's an old man. He gets tangential and he's like, when I visited King's Landing for John Aaron's hand job tourney, Danwell and Hostine and Perwin rode while John Aaron was there, and my kin shamed me. I wish I hadn't even made the trip. Them and all my bastards were just awful in the melee and everything. He's just like straight up like shitting on his family for five minutes. <laughs> and and you know, I can't blame Walder Frey here for doing that either, because how else are we going to get the exposition? Chloe, <laughs> the important well, exposition that comes in Catelyn's chapters. You gotta love the, the exposition, especially when it has Walter Frey calling Loras Tyrell Sir Daisy. That's a, that's a favorite of this chapter. He's like, ah, that Tyrell boy, Sir Daisy. <laughs> uh, he goes off topic, and then he starts to talk about how the crate calls are sluts. He's like, oh, the Cray calls are sluts. And then he's like, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Coming back to the topic. I proposed Lord and Lady Aaron took two of my grandkids and offered to take that boy, Sweet Robin. And 
you know, they said no, they got pissed, blah, blah, blah. And I do have to ride for my idiot girl, Amory Frey, because she descends from the Craycall line, right? She's the granddaughter of Amory mm-hmm. Craycall, his third wife. And uh, Amory Frey, God bless her heart, she's not very smart. She's kind of a dumb bitch, but she's very sexually positive, And I love that about her. I, you know, I think that's really important. But it she does kind of crack me up. Yeah. Yeah, she does it for herself. And I respect that. You know, she's out in that gatehouse, speaking of spit roasts, right? Oh my God. But it's very interesting how he's like, fuck that crate call slut, when every time he has a kid and marries them off, it actually devalues his stock, mm-hmm. right? So, like, it's interesting that he's kind of, like, considering other people that are, you know, women, for example, that he's married, their stock, and calling them sluts and unworthwhile, when it's like, every time you marry a kid off, you weaken your value, Especially because you're marrying to so many medium range alliances. None of them are big time and they all cancel each other out. So you have no protection and you're actually making things worse half the time for yourself. It's very interesting. I've played Crusader Kings is what I'm saying, right? And (laughs) where Catalan is encouraged to breed to bring several heirs and her value is kind of seen in that by some people in Westeros. Each time Walder does it, it brings down his value in what he offers to Westeros, not not to mention his children, and also not to mention the fucking child brides that he's kidnapping and molesting for some sort of shitty sum of gold, because, you know, feudalism is just kind of trafficking. But this is another example of Walder and Catelyn playing the same game, but both of them have to play by different sets of rules, right? He has a different set of rules than she has. And I think a lot of that comes through in the way that Catelyn evaluates this conversation. She's playing diplomat to all of these lords and kings in their own right throughout this book and the next. And we see her actually having to choose these different angles and lenses, right? Like here where she chooses a humble tone when she speaks to him, even though she really wants to just slit his throat. Uh Uh, And we see that obviously later with Daenerys and now with Daenerys tackling that as well as Arianne after she too rolls a bag of dice like Rob Stark does at the end of this chapter and it turns out not so hot for her either yeah yeah it's gonna get hot probably a lot of things are gonna happen in your life probably and you know when you're talking about walder Frey's value i think another part of it is when he holds in the twins as as you said it's devalued because all those alliances Mm -hmm. cancel each other out so it's just messy to get into like what's the fucking point what's the fucking you don't like get any sort of control over the twins and, you know, in terms of his devaluation also in producing all of those heirs, part of it is that decorum, right? Like, it is, like, still those weird double standards. I mean, Westerosi culture just presumes that men have sexual appetites, right? Like, that comes up in Catelyn's chapters when she's like, yeah, I guess I expected Ned to fuck while he was out at war, but I didn't expect him to bring home a bastard. I thought he had some class, my god. <laughs> well, that's the thing, that they, they think Walder Frey is unclassy. I mean, I guess he marries his women, but he keeps just, like, popping out children, whereas some of them stop. You know, Tywin Lannister doesn't remarry, right? Mm-hmm. He feels his legacy is secure. Haha, <laughs> got him. <laughs> yeah, it was interesting. Um, yeah, he doesn't remarry. Uh, some of them do, some of them don't, right? But <laughs> it's that Walder does so open does it so openly that it's considered obscene and i don't mean this as a double standard in terms of like you know why but like also 
George does kind of use it as a way to signal to the audience. It's it's like not a double standard in that Walter's oppressed for it. I think it's more of just like no, yeah. George is using it as a way to signal to readers and the audiences that Walter Frey isn't really morally good, like not just mm-hmm. like morally gray, right? He's on the darker shades of that spectrum, which as we see happens in the third book. But anyways. You see a lot of, again, similarities in how Walder and Craster are written, and Craster's like a decidedly like shitty dude, right? I mean, killing yeah. your sons and forcing and raping your daughters, like that's that's pretty objectively shitty. And Walder mm-hmm. Frey's not exactly like that, but he's written so similarly. And also a lot of the insults that Walder levies at Cat, they are discourteous, they're very gendered and you know, very mm-hmm. sexually harassing in nature, right? And it's not just in terms of class, it, it's just rude, and, and it's reminiscent of how Joffrey is framed, or to an even more extreme extent, Gregor and Ramsay. They're all on that same spectrum, and, and at times it can be a little lazy. Like This is, I think, one of the biggest mechanics that George uses to characterize and signal to the readers, like, this character is bad, because a lot of the other characters do... I mean, a lot of murder happens in this story, a lot of <laughs> stealing, a lot of other things that are legal or might be considered immoral but those are you know he changes the circumstances around to be like is this justified is Mm -hmm. this not and i think the only thing that george has decided is objectively wrong for the most part is that sexual assault and those kinds of things and so Mm -hmm. you see it when it so it it stands out when he really builds that into those characters yeah i mean all he's missing are fat lips right yeah worm lips i mean yeah there's no worm lips (laughs) Give me a worm, worm lip, George. Yeah, give me two worms fucking on his face. That's that's actually like he uses it that's once. It's how I know it's a villain. Okay, yeah, that is how I know. I don't that's understand you know. villains unless those lips are worms. Yeah, uh, I love that Walder. Like during the storytelling, he goes out of it to try to remember details, and he's like, "Which grandkids did I try to send to court? Were they even worthy to go to court?" And huh. then he just gives up. He gives up on remembering which ones they were. He's like, then he's it. like, "Eh, I have other ones." Uh, right. <laughs> either way, everyone's Lord remarkably not. Boys. Everyone's remarkably not traumatized. Yeah, they all kind of fended for themselves. It seems for sure. Oh God, they're surviving in that social social environment somehow. That's amazing. Yeah. Either way, Lord Aaron did not want the boys, which, of course, Walder blames Liza for. Well, probably was partially I her mean, fault. Yeah. Sweet Robin, yeah. I blame it Liza made no for matter, a lot, too. Though. Yeah, me too, right? <laughs> yeah. It made no matter because Lord Aaron said the child was going to Dragonstone to foster with Stannis. And Liza stormed off, leaving John Aaron with only apologies. Just want to weigh in? Yet another person who heard the story as Dragonstone first, mm-hmm. starting to feel intentional. Mm-hmm. I, I also think, what if Walter Frey just left the kids at court anyway? He should just... He wouldn't have noticed. You deal with these now. I know, right? He's like, I don't care. He would never have noticed. Them. I mean, he doesn't even know their names. My God, they'd find right. a place to He's sleep. He's like, maybe they're Walters, and they, luckily for him, they are, but... <laughs> anyway, we have this line. Catelyn frowned, disquieted. I had understood Liza's boy was to be fostered with Lord Tywin at Casterly Rock. No, it was Lord Stannis, Walder Frey said irritably. Do you think I can't tell Lord Stannis from Lord Tywin? They're both bungholes. We think they're too noble to shit. But never mind about that. (laughs) I know the difference. 
Or do you think I'm so old? I can't remember. <sighs> so Catalin is, of course, asking here for, like, a very serious reason, right? Which is, fuck. Even Walder <laughs> thinks it was Dragonstone and yeah. not Casterly Rock. Was I lied to? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Uh, but, of course, Walder takes this as a slight. I mean, right here, he takes it as a slight. Oh, you think I'm too old, too stupid. Which is what, you know, he's seen some of the lords scoff at him about before. Uh, not great. Not great. You could watch his revenge plan and his feud forming throughout all of this. Mm-hmm. And I, I will say, like, she does follow up. She's like, wait, wait, you're sure. And then he starts realizing... He, he he takes it less personally, but then he comes back to the crossing just as Catelyn is piecing things together again and the gears start turning again. Like the, She's like, this is maybe the second time. She's about to think, maybe this is the second time I've heard this. And then we come mm. back to the matters at hand. And so we lose it again. Again. Just <sighs> like how she almost the, grabbed it in the inn. And and how she almost grabbed it at, at the veil and then the bells started ringing. Ugh. <sighs> uh. Always a distraction. <sighs> well, speaking of distractions, Lord Frey goes on talking about fucking his new life, producing babies, but Catelyn's not listening. She, again, is circling back to confirm about this. John, Aaron, Stannis' business, he confirms it. We're back to talking about the crossing, and he says that the Tullys and the Starks have never been his friends, and asks her, why should he let her through? And then I love that that it says the rest is, of course, just haggling. I love the description of what happens here as being haggling. I don't know mm-hmm. that George was necessarily channeling this connotation, but I think of haggling as, you know, I, I, I associate it with women, particularly at a market. Maybe because, like, that's what I, I, I've haggled. I don't know. Just my personal life experiences. Um, but, tr- you know, trying to be at market, get deals, provide for their family, sell goods, things like that, versus... Yeah, women be shopping. Exactly. You, you know, like, food, things like that, right? Versus if he had used the term, I guess, negotiation, because that's what men do, or whatever, or mm-hmm. something. Um, but but that is what Catelyn is doing. She's doing both. She's negotiating, and she's haggling. She's buying passage for her family. Uh, but she's also, you know, using her family as coin, but, you know, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, times are hard, war is hard, but no. Feudalism uh, is trafficking, as you said. Yeah, I mean, feudalism is literally trafficking. It is funny because uh, you have Ned, who is so afraid of marrying his children off because of, you know, everything that happened in his family mm. at all. And uh, he's so afraid of letting his children go. And at the end of the last chapter, he says to Varys, like, just please promise you will keep my daughter out of any schemes, any plots. Uh, And here, Catelyn is kind of back against the wall. What she negotiates is, I mean, as we'll talk about in a second, it's pretty generous for Walder, but it's also, had it been executed, no pun intended, had it been executed fully, like, and had they gone through with it, I mean, Walder's obviously nursing a grudge. He was never going to be happy. He's an old man. But also, he might have been happy. This, like, would have been the start of a new day for House Frey. Walking good. You know, shooting finger guns. And he gets more than he bargained for, right? He wanted yes, to marry into the house of a great lord. And he's going to get a queen. Yeah, he doesn't even know that yet, but he will get a queen. Yeah. And, you know, that's fair too. Like, he gets so much more than he bargained for, which again, we see Cat 
utilize that technique like she did with the men on the boat, right? With the sailors uh, overpaying them and making sure they each get their money. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just here. They didn't deliver on the money and then kneecaps got broken. You know what I mean? (sighs) Yeah. I do kind of wonder... (sighs) And we can talk about this later, this episode, but it's been brought up. Did Catelyn promise too much? Should she have haggled the price lower? I don't think Walder would have accepted anything less. I'm going to be realistic that it would have been pretty shitty. And I mean, they also play fairly. That is... Like, the Starks play fair, Catelyn plays mostly fair, that basically what she gives to him is Walder will give the crossing, as well as give swords to Rob. So that wasn't even originally in the thought Rob had, right? Like, he didn't even, he hoped that he would join the swords, but by the time they're about to go, she's about to go in, it's it's looking bleak. They didn't think they were going to be swords. Rob is going to leave 400 swords with 400 swords that are staying, Right, double their army up there that's staying at the twins, good faith. Uh, but he's going to give command to someone he trusts. He decides to leave Helm and Tallhart, and then Walder is going to send two grandsons to be fostered at Winterfell, age seven and eight. They'll need to send men to accompany them north, and Lord Frey's son Oliver will serve as Rob's squire in hopes to be knighted. And when Arya returns safely, she is to marry Elmer Frey, Walder's youngest, when the two of them come to age, which. Rob doesn't think Arya will like that one. Finally, Rob is going to marry one of the daughters, right? Whichever he prefers. So, is it a lot? Yes. However, she's not making up for just Rob's toll. This is not just paying Rob's toll. This is also paying the taxes her father hasn't paid. You know? This Mm. is paying for the sins of House Tully, which, spoiler alert, Walder was never going to accept payment on from her. Yeah, yeah. And I guess she has to promise, to some extent, Arya has to be promised if Rob is going to agree, you know? Yeah. Because I don't think he would have agreed if it was just him. He'd be like, why can't it be one of my younger siblings? But if it's both, he sees the price of it. But Mm -hmm. I don't... Well, and Arya is kind of like spare change. Also, as we know, she's no one. And they don't have her, right? She's promising yeah. something, and they're like, well, I don't know if we can get this one. Sure. So that's not secure. And obviously, Walder Frey's like, I don't know. That doesn't sound promising for me. That's fun since later Cersei is doing the same, right? Promising Arya, even though they most definitely do not have Arya. Like, here, they don't have Arya, but they yeah. most definitely don't have Arya when Cersei makes those deals. Honestly, Elmer gets off well, I think. Uh, not very. so. Not I worry about that boy. I, yeah, he's 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 pr- pretty nice. He makes me think of Elmer's Yeah, and he's glue. afraid, so probably gonna die. Yeah. Well, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Oh my god. Words. No more. Too many cross. Too many crossings. But <laughs> I I do love the way that this is all revealed. Like what ends up being the result of those negotiations because it it comes after all the talks are done. That's what I mean when I say like that the action was off page. I guess mm-hmm. it would have been boring for us to hear them say this, no this, no this, you know, all over and over again. It's real behind closed doors shit, though. And as Catelyn rattles off each thing, each time Rob's like, oh, that's not that bad. Yeah, we can totally pay that, right? And the audiences <laughs> are beginning to under- understand, like, both of them begin to see as it keeps mounting. And each time Rob's like, I can pay it until finally it comes to him. And I think that comes a little bit back to what we've been talking about sacrifice this isn't someone dying but we keep saying you know it's easy when for a lot of these characters they're like oh yeah of course we have to sacrifice people have to sacrifice and it's not them 
making the sacrifice. It's not them putting their own lives on the line or things like that. And and that's what it is here for Rob now. It mm-hmm. it's his it's his marriage. You know, are you willing to pay this price if you want to wage a war? That's what you got to pay. And I Rob hasn't learned that yet. He's starting to learn it here, and I think that's why Catelyn's so proud of him in, in a second when he agrees to it. But I think Rob actually never really does learn that price. Mm-hmm. He doesn't learn the do whatever it takes. Because doing whatever it takes, paying that price, means that winning the war had to be worth more than his honor and the honor of anyone else. It had to be worth more than Jane Westerling's honor. Mm-hmm. And the problem is when Cat asks the question of did Rob learn enough from Ned, the answer is no. Because Rob ended up learning the wrong lessons. And part of it is, of course, you know, due to watching John and seeing the way that Kat treated John. And I think maybe also Kat might have misunderstood some of those lessons. Not lessons, but some of, some of what she saw in Ned's example. Because she doesn't know what's actually going on in Ned's heart. She doesn't have his POV chapters with all that subtext. And, of course, Ned never opened up to her. But Rob saw a different idea of his father where he saw him as honorable and thought this is what Ned would have done but it isn't because we see that Mm -hmm. for ned honor isn't the most important thing Mm -hmm. lives are and and your honor cannot be worth more than the lives of your people it can't be worth more than the lives of the people you love if you want them to survive and that ends up being the price that ned pays at the end of this book yeah that is actually a good way of looking at it. I didn't really think about it in that exact manner till now because you're right when something in the way of how Rob in the beginning of the chapter, it's like an empty lesson, right? That he he's riding with his father's bannermen every day and he's trying to play the Lord. But I think the other thing and something that you've honed in on in our John chapters especially is, you know, Rob saw how these things that Ned did also affected people around him. Right, uh-huh. He saw his father's choices and his father playing the Lord and how it hurt Catelyn and how John was hurt in the face of it, right? So I think that's also a big part of it that, you know, he, he chose honor in the wrong manner and the wrong respect, uh-huh. but also he chose the emotions of those around him after growing up and seeing those people hurt. Yeah, Rob was very loving and that's why his siblings love him so much. Mm-hmm. He took those into account again, very different from his namesake, and I mean, he just wants to be good at it, you know. He wants, yeah, he wants to be good, and he cares. <laughs> it's right. It's just that that caring yeah. and that love. He just wants to save his people and his family and go home with his fucking dog, dude. That's yeah, all he wants, and and you know, it comes back to that line uh, that we'll get to later on when he finally says to his mom and he's crying, you know, I. I swore that I was gonna I was gonna do it right. Every single one of these things I was gonna do right and somehow along the way, uh, as we see, just like the Jamie Lannister line, right? Like somehow uh he wanted to be Arthur Dane and he became the smiling knight. So many vows, they make you swear and swear, and when you're living in this society it doesn't match up in the end. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't have it all. He he you can't have it all and he chose the wrong Thing, but he chose the thing that he thought was right based on emotions, based mm-hmm. on feelings, which is understandable. It, it was something that was more immediate, more tangible. And again, he was playing by these rules and he thought that it could be fixable, but 
It's not. Yeah, he had he he weighed the prices and chose the wrong thing and had to pay a much higher toll bill in the end. And that's why you should always pay when they first send them to you. <laughs> and not wait 30 days and then get the late fee, okay? Well, as we get Catalin back with all of these big old big old asterisks to tell Rob about, she gets to the end of her list and she's like, "Do you consent? If you wish to cross, you must consent." So, he consents. And so we end the chapter. He had never seemed more manly to her than he did in that moment. Boys might play with swords, but it took a lord to make a marriage pact, knowing what it meant. They crossed that evenfall as a horned moon floated upon the river. The double column wound its way through the gate of the eastern twin like a great steel snake slithering across the courtyard into the keep and over the bridge to issue forth once more from the second castle on the west bank. Catelyn rode at the head of the serpent, with her son and her uncle Sir Brynden and Sir Stevern Frey. Behind followed nine-tenths of their horse, knights, lancers, freeriders, and mounted bowmen. It took hours for them all to cross. Afterward, Catelyn would remember the clatter of countless hooves on the drawbridge, the sight of Lord Walder Frey in his litter, watching them pass the glitter of his eyes, peering down through the slats of the murder holes in the ceiling as they rode through the water tower. The larger part of the northern host, pikes and archers, and great masses of men-at-arms on foot, remained upon the east bank under the command of Roose Bolton. Rob had commanded him to continue the march south to confront the huge Lannister army coming north under Lord Tywin. For good or ill, her son had thrown the dice. Well... About that dice throw there with Roos. Wait a second, just to recap, isn't that the guy that said the very oddly specifically creepy thing about the Lannisters slitting Rob's throat earlier? I wonder if it's just like, does Roos just say creepy things all the time so that people will never know anymore when they should be like paying attention of like, that was, that was way creepier. You know, if you I guess he has no one to check him, right? Like, who's going to check him? He's just like super already creepy. He just plants red flags everywhere, and nothing usually happens. So they're like, that's just that's just him, I guess. To be clear, it's red flags with pink men on them. Mm, Yes, or vice versa. (laughs) They're light. Yes, or vice versa. Light red, if you will, (laughs) flags. Yes. Well, while Davos was our gambler last season, it is the Stark clan here. It is the Roos-Bolton gamble. Throw the dice indeed. While we have that dwindling stock value under Cat and Walder, right, uh, by the word or by the child, in Catalan's <laughs> case, <laughs> Rob's value is not going down. While we reread this chapter, it's so easy to see why the betrayal happens and how it forms. The Lannisters were willing to pay really good money to take back control of Westeros, of a warring country, to uh, do the underdog in real easy. The biggest question is why would Walder stake his whole being, his whole life, and his young house's short time as a great house of Westeros on the bloody murder of the Starks and Tullys? And it's right here in this chapter. I mean, Rob and Cat's betrayal is not just their betrayal, but kind of the third and final betrayal to him of the Tullys that we've talked about in this chapter. This wasn't even a really about Rob. 
necessarily. It's about Catelyn being the person to promise him these things. And that word being broken and what that represented about the future of the Tullys. Betraying him, ruining his chances at a better life in society, and a better ability to give some of his 900 children opportunities to excel the family name and make his house greater. Not everyone can be born to be a Stark or a Tully with access to all of these connections. Again, this is an anti-Frey account, except for, like, dumb bitch Amy, wonderful, lovely Walda, Roslyn, and I guess there are some boys, too, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, I... I I'm still here for Oliver and Perrin. They're lovely. And also Eliana Viperin, who's the daughter of Lythine Frey. And I actually don't know anything about Eliana Viperin, but I mean, just, probably gonna just die. listen to listen to her name, Eliana Viperin. Like, how could I not? How could I've got I not really bad her? news about her. I've got bad news about Elia. <sighs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> I'm just saying. Let me go. Leave me alone. Uh, I don't have a name, you know, at least. Um, I, I don't know. I'm just saying, I, I don't think it was right. I just understand why Walder decided to murder them at the wedding. You know, like, your boy Walder snapped. He sure did snap. I totally get why he decided to stake his entire house on murder training the people who symbolize his whole life failure and regret and embarrassment. I understand it. It's not right, but I do get it. Yeah, it's interesting because they talk about a lot of other people, right, as saying, like, this person is very proud, right? But they don't mm-hmm. think of Lord Walder Frey that way, but that's ultimately what a big part of what drives him, right? And mm-hmm. and that's part of what's so insulting about the marriage to the Westerlings later on, right? It, he's He's proud, and he's been rebuffed by all of these great lords at each turn. Um, I don't think I, I, you know, as we're saying, I don't think that Walder had to like just go gangbusters on the whole thing, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe <laughs> not murder train. Yeah, right. Just because he like wanted people to finally respect him, <laughs> but I, it makes sense in the context of the story that's being told, right? It, it's reminiscent, and this happens in the same book. Mm-hmm. Like this happens in book three, is what I mean. Like when Tyrion, he he kills his father Tywin uh it's it's a similar it's a simpler impetus I think but on a much larger scale right it it's less personal mm-hmm. probably feels personal I guess to Walder but it, but it's over years right because you yeah. know Rob did not abuse Walder Frey throughout all of Walder Frey's life the North did not do that to you yeah I mean this is about the Riverlands yeah but it, it fits into all of those themes right of like what it takes you know when when someone just keeps getting pushed I guess and then takes that revenge mm-hmm. Something that George is really interested in. Yes. George, I would not want to be on his shit list, is what I've learned after reading these books. I feel like, oh, <laughs> his little list, right. Pink like flags. Arya, with the list. Yeah. Uh, major pink flags are being tossed around, indeed. Pink <laughs> flags for all, ref. Yes. So we will not be back this coming week because we will be covering La Belle Sauvage, but we will be back in June with Catelyn, and we'll be covering Catelyn 10 with the big ambush of Jamie's army, uh, and very excited to come back to that. And then, of course, Catelyn 11. It's a good chapter, I guess. I've heard about it. Uh, yeah, I've heard about it. I don't know. I've heard about these books. Then the uh, kings are going to clash, man. Yeah, but... Until then, yeah, y'all are going to have to wait. But of course, if you do want more Song of Ice and Fire material, we are 
going to be talking about it on our Patreon. When we go to the free cities, it's different. It's real different from Rob's life. But Yes, that'll be over at Patreon at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon when we talk about Pentos this month. So Stranger Tier and above, make sure you check that out where you can also grab an RSS feed if you're a Patreon member, a private RSS feed that you can load into whatever podcast streaming thing of your choice and listen to us there. Yeah, but if you like talking about other things, right? If you do, if LaBelle Sauvage interests, interests you, or His Dark Materials, and you want to talk to people about that, we again, do you have a Discord for patrons $10 and up, Thunder Tier and above, where, again, this Sunday we are having our brunch slash happy hour, and people are going to be presenting at our PowerPoint potluck, and maybe Reindeer Games, as, as Chloe likes to call it. Yes. Maybe reindeer games. We shall see. Maybe direwolf games. Ooh. All the direwolf games. <laughs> just put some and just tie some little horns on them. <laughs> if you are looking to talk about this week's episode, you could chat with us on social media about it. Let us know what you thought at Girls Gone Canon, C-A-N-O-N on Twitter, or if you have an email that you want to send over about your thoughts on this episode or on upcoming episodes or previous chapters, whatever you want to talk about. Send us an email, girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. And of course, you can subscribe to us on any platform that is not Google+. But you can find us on <laughs> Google Play, on Apple Podcasts, on Pandora, on Spotify, on Amazon Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Prancer, on Dancer. Um, oh my god. <laughs> reindeer, reindeer games. games. <sighs> uh, yes. Look us up. You'll find us. And as always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. But do you recall the most famous fray of all? Walder, the murder reindeer. <laughs> reindeer. <laughs> oh, God. That man holds a grudge. Goodbye. Bye.